and welcome to Stories of Scotland, where we are continuing the Grandparents series. Here we're learning about rural life in the 1940s and 50s in Scotland through Annie's Granny and Papa. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. And this week we're learning about the romantic or not-so-romantic union of my grandparents. Ah, it's a heartwarming tale nonetheless. So this was a really lovely episode to make because my grandparents have been together for over 65 years. (laughs) But as we'll see with their story, it's parallels to a lot of people's personal love stories. Exactly. So let's Highland fling ourselves into this one. So can you tell me how you met uh, my granny? (laughs) <laughs> Met her at a dance. Yeah? Do you remember what you were wearing? Or what she was wearing? Um, I mean, what you met there, Granny. She had a blue frock on taffeta. What they call taffeta. It's like silk, but it's no silk. <laughs> <laughs> but it was at Thornhill. Mate. Yeah, that, I, I worked at Castle Douglas then. That's about 30 miles to Thornhill. But I used to go to the dance every Saturday night when I was home. Getting like I'd be home at Thornhill on a, at the weekend and I met your granny in the dance there. And I was playing with a yo yo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we met. Again, Fout would be dancing along and I'd throw the yo yo and they would duck as you. But as I come in, he's played with a yo yo yourself. Aye, aye. like he would throw it out and Fout, again, Fout and you like, they would uh-huh. duck out the road, but the the, the, the yo yo never reached them. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that to your mother, that's your granny, that's how I met her. I was playing my yo-yo. <laughs> and after she was dancing, you see, I was just standing up again the wall, keeping a bit with the yo-yo up and doing and up and doing it and flinging it out. And then after she was finished that dance, she came over to me and she says, give me a shot of your yo-yo. <laughs> 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 and that was how we met <laughs> <laughs> she was a mate, she was quite tickled with this yo-yo, you know. <laughs> and did you dance with her that oh, night? Oh, I, I think I seen her hand that first night. I met her. I had an old motorbike, an old Norton. And did Granny like the motorbike? Well, well it was the only way she could get a boot on it. Again, <laughs> she was away in the country. Her father was mm-hmm. a dairyman. And she must have been about eight mile, ten mile, maybe out of Thornhill. And I used to run her bottom for it. I used to come and collect her and take her away to the priest to the pictures or to dance or whatever, whatever you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good for her. How did you meet my granddad? At a dance. And I was there with... Another guy, but he had no car, but he had to pay for taxes, but that didn't matter, he was earning good money. And then dad was standing playing with a yo yo. Mm-hmm. And, and I must have went round the hall of him, and I said, ah, Can I get a shot of that yo yo later? And he says, Yes. And then he says, I'll run you home in my motorbike. And I thought, Nah, I'm no chance on that. I go home in a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, he probably hasn't got a motorbike. So the next day he phoned the farm here, my dad's student, he says, he says, have you got somebody there called Jean and uh, up near there? And he, said, he went to the system, my dad and the buyer, he says, 
there's an old man on the phone asking about your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so then Jimmy came up with his motorbike and then went with him ever since. Then we went all over the country in the motorbike and I had my dress inside my my trousers for the motorbike. You got to the place <laughs> you got to the place and you took off your trousers and left them in the motorbike and off you went into the dance. So you fell for my papa because he had a yo yo. And a motorbike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about love? How do you know when you've met the right person? I think you just know. I don't know what it is. I mean, we've probably shared the same things like the countryside and going walk for miles and, and that kind of thing. And you, you share the same interests. That's half the way there. And and if, as long as you like eating the same food, you know. It's, no, I think... Uh, I think and it's all down to being happy, really. I love both of your grandparents' memories of meeting at the dancing, because they must have both only been about 16 or 17, but they remember it almost identically, which is great. And the idea of your grandma being swept off her feet by a yo-yo, only to find out afterwards that your grandpa had a motorcycle, it's impressive. He was a man of many talents by the sounds of it. Yes, he must have been. Um, And it, it kind of felt that once they knew, they just knew. It was love at first sight. Love at first yo-yo. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's quite interesting as well because one set of my grandparents also met at the dancing in Glasgow. Um, I gave my granddad a call a week or so ago and chatted to him about how he met my grand. Um, Every Saturday night, him and the other young men that lived in the army barracks in Mary Hill would put on their best shirts and their best dancing shoes and head out to one of the many dance halls in Glasgow at the time. And there were over 80 at its peak. Now, of all of these, the favourite of my granddad's was the St Aloysius dance hall on the south side. It was here that as he stood on one side of the hall with all the other young lads who were looking for partners, that he spotted a beautiful woman standing on the other side of the hall with all the other single women... Whippin? <laughs> with all the other single women... Whippin? With all the other single women waiting to be asked if they wanted to dance. The singer of the four-piece live swing band called for everyone to find a partner and over he went and asked the classic, Are you dancing? To which she replied, I go on. And away they went. They danced all night and at the end he asked her to go to the pictures the next Wednesday. This was the natural path of courting to take. Dancing on the Saturday, pictures on the Wednesday. And my grandpa says his favourite movie to take girls to was Gone with the Wind. He took the young woman to the cinema, but unfortunately, the chemistry that was there at the dancing just wasn't there in front of the big screen. Oh no. And so they decided to part ways. Now, a few Saturdays later, him and his boys were back out looking for people to dance with and girls to go on dates with. And on this night, as he was waiting to dance, again, another beautiful woman immediately caught his attention from across the hall. He went over and asked her to dance and away they went. Together they danced the quick step, the waltz and the foxtrot, and as they went, they blethered away. The music volume was much lower then, which meant that as you moved with your partner, you could also get to know them and see if you wanted to dance more. They too danced the night away and went to see the movies the next Wednesday. This time, the chemistry was still there, and so they continued courting. It continued on until it was serious enough that my grandpa was ready to meet her parents and her three sisters. He put on his best suit, but was pretty nervous, he said, but he was excited to get to know everyone. He got to the house early and knocked on the door. Only, it wasn't my grand Sarah that opened it, but her older sister, May. 
And when she did, his jaw dropped and so did hers. It was the very girl he'd taken on a date a few weeks before and hadn't seen again. It was her sister. (laughs) Oh no. Yep. Not the best start to an already nerve-wracking day. But judging by you sitting in front of me, I guess they managed to get around this somehow. I would think so too. But shall we get back to your grandparents' story? Yes. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. Ah, you always come back. How did you know that you wanted to marry her? Oh, that was a wee bit, a wee, well, a wee bit pressure on us then. You see, we were out wanting to get married, and I was working for Bob Laurie at the time, and I had went to the again the call up place for the for the soldier again, like you got certain your time. You can finish your time, but when you were, when you're eighteen year old, you just register at the, at the office for the soldier. Oh. So some of the boys that I went with, they were all getting their call up papers again. But anyway, we thought your granny and me thought well. If we get married, if we get married before I get caught up. We found out that if a married man got into the army, he got ten bob a week more than just an ordinary job. And we thought, well, we'll get married and we'll get this extra ten bob a week. I was hoping that one of you would give me a romantic story, <laughs> but you both just told me. <laughs> the money. <laughs> he got married in money. So we thought, we'll, we'll just get married and that'll be that, because we're going to be getting married anyway. So Bob, I said to Bob Laurie, I says, I can't understand it. I says, well, that all these boys that I went for my medical way, they're all getting caught up. They're all, they're all away. And I says, I've never had any word, any word of, 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 of going anywhere. He says, oh, you're exempt. I says, what do you mean? He says, oh, well, I'll go to the exempt. But he never tell me that. He says, you're exempt. You don't have to go to the army. So that was I stuck with him then. Mm. If I left him, I'd have went to the army. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But before the time was up, I think if you were 26, they didn't call you, take you to the army after that. Mm-hmm. So once I became 26, I parked in and started up my own. Mm-hmm. But then you look at their marriage story and it's actually quite funny. It wasn't a question of love, but money. (laughs) The decision was made so easily because they were in love and already saw themselves together forever. Okay, so conscription is a call-up to serve in the wartime period So in the 20th century, the UK brought in military service for the First World War from 1916 to 1920. And then national service came in again for the Second World War from 1939 to 1960, with the last conscripted soldiers completing their service in 1963. 
So when conscription came in during the Second World War, there were actually protests from groups such as the Peace Pledge Union. In 1939, no one realised how long and enduring the Second World War would be, such as this young man, who wrote into the Wishaw Press down in Lanarkshire, saying, We are only to be trained to give us the chance of safeguarding that same freedom we cherish so dearly if the need arises. We will have our trials. Things will not be altogether to our liking, but we are not so selfish and self-centred that we cannot accept just discipline. Youth, on the whole, is impetus. A little discipline will no hurt us. If we accept conscription in the proper light, and most of us do, then more good than harm will result. Our outlook will be broadened rather than narrowed. It will make men of us. After all, six months is not a lifetime. It is but one short sentence in the book of a young man's life. Okay, so this is really interesting that in the very same newspaper there are also letters against conscription. So it very much divided the public. And then in 1941, women were also conscripted to take the place of men in industries from factories to forestry. At first, only unmarried women aged to 20 to 30 were called up, but women from across the board volunteered for the war effort. They were demobilised after the end of the war. But conscription for men continued well after the war. You said 1963? Why did it go on for so long? So, I, the peacetime conscription was different from war service. So both Labour and Tory governments supported continuing conscription for a wee while. For example, in 1949, Winston Churchill said that... While it would, from many points of view, be a popular policy to abolish national service, it is my conviction that such change at this time would be deeply injurious to the strength of Britain and would reduce our chances of maintaining the peace of the world. Okay, so men could be exempt from national service if they were widowed, deemed unfit for service, uh, if they were religious ministers or, in the case of my grandfather, were necessary for the functioning of vital industries, such as farming. But also, national service was ended because technology changed the whole nature of warfare. Oh yeah, of course, because the first nuclear bombs were dropped in Japan at the end of the Second World War, and so efforts after that were pushed into nuclear experimentation as opposed to building large armies of soldiers. It was more efficient to free up people from working in the armed forces so that they could work in jobs that rebuilt the country after the damage caused by the Second World War. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting reason to get married. I mean, it's it's not very romantic, but at least it was practical. Well, actually, it wasn't really practical for them because your granddad never got conscripted, so they just kind of got married. <laughs> Granny never saw that ten bob after all. Yeah. <laughs> How many turnips have you pulled in your days, Granny? A lot. Why do you think my shoulders is gone? <laughs> you know, we used to love it. You know, actually, we used to love it. And then in the spring, we'd go, we'd hold turnips at the farm and we'd get about £200 or some. So we're two weeks holiday, so we did that the first week and then the second week went away to in Scotland. Just, you know... How old would you have been then? About 23. Can you tell me how many turnips you've pulled in your life? Many turnips in my life? 
<laughs> the turnip must have been thousands. <laughs> I never could. But he got paid half a crown a hundred years. Again, he didn't. He, he showed half a, a hundred jars of turnips. <laughs> and he got paid half a crown a hundred yards. So it's a fair distance, thought. How much is a hundred yards in metres? A hundred yards roughly is a hundred steps. Okay. I mean, if you take a long step, that's usually about a yard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he used to go up, when you're doing turn up showing, he got into the field and he took two, show, two rows at a time. Chop, chop. Again, he just had to t turn up twice, one in the roots and one in the, the one in the show, you know. Mm -hmm. And he put them over to the side and he had two rows there. And then he turned at the t top of the hundred years and doing the inner two. So he got four rows of turnips on the one, four again, what they call drills. He got four drills and heaps in the one row of turnips. But once you had got the four rows of heaps, that's you done four hundred yards, okay? But I mean, it would take you going to do a hundred yards an hour. Okay. So you're getting paid half a crown an hour. The farmers had it all done to a fine art. You see, they paid you half a crown an hour for working at the hay or working at the harvest. Mm -hmm. But this, didn't they pay you half a crown an hour for working at the turnips? They paid you half a crown a hundred. Mm -hmm. So you had to work to, to make your half crown. You get mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean, you could attain lo longer than an hour to do a hundred yards. But you wouldn't have got paid. <laughs> was it hard work? The the turnip, the showing the turnips was hard. Uh, your granny didn't like it. She was searing her back. But she could hoe them. She could hoe them quicker than I could. <laughs> and that's uh, cleaning them again, thinning them out Aye. when they're growing, when they're young. But we used to get half a crown a hundred years for hoeing them too. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what what inspired you to ask this question? Is this like a weird family tradition of turnip pulling? And um, well, yes, actually. Throughout my childhood, <laughs> my family was pretty obsessed with turnips. Wow. Okay. Well, you asked your grandpa how many turnips he had pulled in his lifetime, so I thought I'd do some research for you and try and figure that out. Are you ready for this? Um, I'm not really sure. All right then, buckle up, because we're about to go on a wild turnip rodeo. Now, he states that they would get half a crown per hundred yards of turnip pulling. Now, half a crown is two shillings and sixpence, and a shilling was a twentieth of a pound. And at that point, a pound was 240p, so a shilling was 12p, so two shillings is 24p, plus sixpence is 30p, so that's 30p per hundred yards of turnips. Now, the average weekly salary in 1953 was £9. So to make this, your granddad would have had to have pulled 7,200 yards of turnips per week. Wait, what? Yep, yeah, now tur stay with me. Turnips are growing about 15 centimetres apart and there's 91.44 centimetres in a yard. So that's about six turnips per yard. So to make your average wage, your grandpa would have had to have pulled 43,200 turnips a week. <laughs> I think he might have just pulled less turnips and been more thrifty, but... Also, I'm not sure if I trust your maverick maths at all. <laughs> and 
I don't think Papa would have been earning so much at the turnip. Hold your horses, Addy. I'm not done, all right? Now, let's say he's working eight hours a day for six days a week. That's four to eight hours a week. To hit his turnip targets, he'd have had to have pulled at a pace of 900 turnips per hour, which is about 15 TPM, that's turnips per minute, which is about four seconds per turnip. That's some real turnip power. Jenny, this is, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not even sure that this is a genuine measurement of speed or in any way accurate at all. I mean, turnip power definitely isn't horsepower. Okay, but it's what if I told you it's also a measurement of height? The longer you pulled, the fewer turnips tall you were. It is a nightmare on the back. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> no matter how many neeps my granny and papa pulled, it would have still been incredibly hard work. Oh yeah, for sure. I used to play hockey and they play on a hundred yard pitch and we'd have to run fitness tests up and down these pitches and I was consistently the slowest and least fit player. So believe me when I say this and this alone, Annie, I know just how long a hundred yards can be. And how long is that? 91.44 metres. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even imagine a hundred yards of turnips. Forget CrossFit games. This is like CroftFit games. <laughs> I call this one the quad harvester, the neap masher. <laughs> it just sounds like you're naming tractors now, Jenny. Haggis, neeps and bad backies. <laughs> oh, please stop. I can't okay. do this anymore. Okay, okay. So pulling neeps was made even harder if the soil was wet, as this made it heavier and stickier. And this is Scotland, so conditions were often suboptimal. It meant that Scotland led the way in the development of mechanical turnip harvesting. Yeah, we did. By the mid-1950s, two new harvesters were shown <laughs> in the Highland Games to great excitement yeah. and celebration. <laughs> and then from then on, it became less and less common for manual turnip pooling to take place. Ah, so your grandparents were the last of the tough turnip tuggers. That they were. <laughs> My grandparents grew up on the cusp of mechanisation. They are some of the last Scots who remember farming as it used to be, and from first muddy hand experience. But my granddad still plants rows of turnips and harvests them every autumn. We should go and try and have a turnip pulling competition with him, and I bet he'd still out turnip us by far. He always brings the biggest turnip over for Christmas. My turnips bring all the granddads to the yards. <laughs> and they're like, it's harder than yours, damn right. It's tougher than yours, I can teach you. <laughs> so it was probably one of the least romantic love stories I've ever heard. Ah, none of that. It had all the makings of a beautiful love story. The yo-yo, the exhilarating motorbike rides, the turnips... And don't forget the meeting at the dancing as well. That was a pillar of Scottish society at the time. You're right. I think the only unromantic part was the conscription proposal of convenience. Mm. But by that point, they must have known that it would work. 65 years and still going strong. It's so interesting to me to look back and compare the dating scene back then when how your grandparents grew up to how we do it now. 
While they were catching eyes across the dance floor, we just click across the internet. It's a wee bit of a shame, but if you look at the basics, it's pretty much the same, just a bit more soulless. <laughs> I, I guess when they had a dance floor between them, we have a screen. You're right. And it, I guess it is just quite sad that somewhere along the way, we lost this magic of the dancing. Whenever your grandparents or my granddad talk about it, they just have this little twinkle in their eye where they remember like the joys of youth, essentially. Yeah, it does feel like we've had the best bit taken out of courting, the actual dancing. Mm. Although, saying that, I'm a bit of a terrible dancer. <laughs> so maybe the, going to the dancing would have reduced my chances of finding a partner. I'm the same. Although maybe, maybe the fact that we can't dance is down to the fact that we didn't have the dancing when we were younger. We were doomed to fail from the start, Jenny. And with no conscription to force a marriage, Annie, we're going to be Scottish spinsters soon. More time for pulling turnips, at least. And podcasting. <laughs> On that note, I have a lovely... <laughs> terrible note. <laughs> On this terrible note, I have a lovely Burns poem to add on. A poem for my granny, Jean. Of all the airts the wind can blow, I dearly like the west. For there the bonny lassie lives, the lassie I love best. There's wild woods grow, and rivers row, and money a hill between. But day and night my fancy's flight is ever with my jean. I see her in the dewy flowers, I see her sweet and fair. I hear her in the tuneful birds, I hear her charm the air. There's not a bonny flower that springs by fountain, shaw or green. There's not a bonny bird that sings, but mind me, oh my Jean. Thank you so much for listening to Stories of Scotland. Yes, as always, thank you so much for listening. And if you've got the time, give us a review on your podcasting platform, whichever one you listen to. We love reading them. We love hearing from you all. Very much so. Slangeva. 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 <laughs> Is that garlic? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>